Hey friend, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I am a therapist on a mission to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always 15 minutes or less. And on Wednesdays, we sprinkle in guest interviews with people I feel can equip your mental, emotional, relational, physical, or spiritual health. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. You're going to want to stick around until the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Well, today's guest is the co-author of When Faith Meets Therapy, which you know is a topic that gets me all kinds of excited. For two decades, Anthony Evans has voiced the gospel with a thought-provoking style and has emerged as one of Christian music's premier worship leaders and singers. Along the way, Anthony has released 10 solo projects, released three books, produced numerous music videos, acted in four movies, and even performed as Beast in Disney's Hollywood Bowl production of Beauty and the Beast. He has created inspirational events in collaboration with his father, Dr. Tony Evans, his sisters, Priscilla Shire and Crystal Evans Hurst, and his brother, Jonathan Evans. In recent years, Anthony has been working and producing in Los Angeles, where he appeared on NBC's The Voice. His time on that show led him to being discovered and asked to perform and produce vocals for various major artists and networks. In addition to vocal production, Anthony has been enlisted as a talent producer for various popular reality and competition shows. And this time in LA is what led him to think more progressively about his music and ministry. He desires to communicate in terms that connect with people spiritually, no matter where they are in their journey with the Lord, without compromising his faith and message. Well, you might have guessed it, and I guess I already told you that I am talking to him today, though, specifically about faith and therapy. So please help me welcome Anthony to the show. Well, hello, Anthony. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know you just launched this book a couple days ago. So it's a little bit of a busy week, slightly busy. Um, Before we dive into the topic of this book, because this is, might be my very favorite topic that I get to interview somebody on. I love to ask my guest, I just read your professional bio in the introduction. What's a random fun fact about you that maybe wouldn't be in your bio? That I love horses and I'm always, I have horse, I've had horses all for the last 10 years, 12 years up to now, and I'm going to probably get a couple more and I'm like kind of an outdoorsman. People would never know that, I don't think. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, like, do you post that anywhere on Instagram or anything like that? that I, I do. I do. I haven't posted it recently, but I do sometimes. But that's kind of my catharsis to be at the barn and to be just kind of get my hands dirty and be that guy. I <laughs> love that. That's a very fun fact. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're going to dive just right in to our topic today and the book that you just released and you co-wrote it with her name is Stacy. What's her last name? Kaiser, Stacy Kaiser. Kaiser, okay. And it's when faith meets therapy. Um, I have to read the tagline too for the listeners. Find hope in a practical path to emotional, spiritual, and relational 
healing. And my listeners know this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Every Monday, I release talk therapy episodes, and the heart behind those are to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. And then Wednesdays are our guest interviews. So I think this is my first time I've actually got to speak to a guest who like wrote to this topic. And so I'm very excited. And I know my listeners are going to love you because they just already are here for this. And so I like to always just know, where did your heart for this book come from? Uh, my heart from this book came from the fact that I had been working with Stacy on a personal level for the last six years as, as my therapist. I was at a point where I was wildly desperate. I, I, I liken it to being an athlete that's playing injured. That's what I was doing in my ministry. I was emotionally injured, spiritually injured, mentally injured, and kept getting on the court to play. And the thing about being a preacher's kid is I know how to tape up my emotional ankle well enough to get on the field and play or the court and play. And nobody knows there's anything wrong. I, I could do that except for when I get off the court and untape my emotional ankle, my mental ankle, whatever my friends and my family see me limping around and go, if you get back on that court, you are going to injure yourself in a way where there's not going to be a return. So I got desperate. I didn't want, this is, I don't, I haven't told anybody this. I, because of my family, like my dad's a pastor, my sisters are speakers. Like I, I was like, where do I go for therapy? Because everybody knows my family in Christian world. Like everybody in church, if I go to a church for therapy, they're going to know my family and it's going to create a problem in me. They may be the greatest therapist ever, but the fact that I know they may have like my dad or sister's books on their shelf, it's going to stress me out. So I was thinking about how to do all this and happened to be watching a major TV show like Steve Harvey or something like that. And the therapist on the show was very well-spoken, said something very intriguing to me. So I was like, I'm going to be a creep and look at these credits to see who that was. You know what I mean? I'm going to find this lady and email her and see. And thankfully her team found out that I wasn't a serial killer. And and that, cause it creepy, it was kind of creepy to reach out through TV, but, um, that's how I met Stacy. And the fact that she didn't know my family, she was separate. I'm in LA a lot of the time. So she was working in Hollywood and Los Angeles. She was far outside of our, our Bible belt box, but I'm obviously made sure that faith was a part of her and that, and that she would, that, that being a part of our narrative, she would understand that. And then when she did, I was like, Oh my gosh, she was a Sunday school teacher when she was uh, younger. Let's go. You know what I mean? This is, this is perfect. Um, so anyway, that was a long way to answer your question, but that's why, because I was playing injured and was like, I got to get out of here. And I want people to people like me who are in ministry, who play injured to have practical tools and tips to get, to get better. Absolutely. And I can already tell we're not going to get through all my questions because I just created three new questions off of your answer right now. So that's okay though. I'm all right with that. Uh, the playing injured piece, that is huge. I'm also a pastor's kid, which probably was a little bit, you know, played into me wanting to become a therapist. And um, because you're so right, and it's not just ministry, I think it's really just across the board, any profession. My husband and I own a medical practice and any helping profession, especially, I feel like it is just very hard. Like you said, the playing injured piece. So let's hang out there just for a second, because I think we have a lot of people limping, a lot of people limping. And we keep thinking, just like you said, I can bandage this up. I can keep going because what types of things in your own experience or what, however you want to address this, do you feel like keep us from stopping and actually treating the root of the problem and not just bandaging it up? I think sometimes our faith can do that. Our faith can make us sound like, okay, I 
have got to be the only one struggling this hard because, and then you feel bad. I, I felt bad because prayer alone wasn't working. I felt bad because Bible verses alone weren't working and I needed tools. I always liken it. I think that that's, that's what happens is because you feel like the playing injured and acting like you're not, I think comes a lot of times because of religion that's in us. And it's like, I should, prayer should be enough. Trusting God should be enough. Nobody can know that that's not enough for me. And so I have to, I'm not saying God's not enough. I'm saying we need practical tools. I always liken this um, to being in algebra class in ninth grade. I had the hardest time understanding my teacher. I mean, she had a book of truth. She had a book full of formulas. She would work them out on the board step by step and say X equals 11 after like these 10 steps on the board. And I was lost. Like the class would be like, do you really not get this? And I was like, no, I don't get it. And I had to get to a point where I was like, I have to not be ashamed of the fact that I need tutoring. My teacher actually said, Anthony, you, in order to pass, you need tutoring. So I look at therapy as me going, I have a book of truths. I have formulas at work, but I need tutoring to understand how to work out these book of truths and formulas in my life to get to the answer. I need tutoring for that. And when I let that shame go away, I passed because of the tutoring. So I look at therapy as my tutoring because sometimes I have a hard time, even though I'm Tony Evans' son, I have a hard time working out these formulas in my life. Um, and, and I think once the shame of that is gone, then um, as, as a believer, it's like, you know what? I need tutoring. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. When shame falls off, then all kinds of stuff can happen. All kinds of healing yes. can take place. Yeah. That's so yeah. good. I just love the, the, encouragement. I almost said permission, but we don't need, you know, people don't necessarily need permission, but I do think it's nice to have that encouragement of that. I have, I think this was actually even a quote in the book that therapy is not a replacement. It's an enhancement. Yes. Yes. People look at therapy sometimes as like, Oh my God, really sometimes in like deep Bible belt culture, therapy is looked at like you're going to see a palm reader or a psychic. Like it's like way out there to put people, but yeah, in some ways this is, I hope that this gives somebody permission who's, you know, I know that that was a strong word, but yeah, who just feels like, is that not okay? I think if this is, if this is not going against your faith and and it's enhancing it, you know what I mean? Then, then go for it. I mean, why not? Proverbs 11 talks about wise counsel. So I'm kind of lost as to why this is such, there's such a stigma on this. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I do think it's important. Another piece that you brought up a little bit ago was how once you found you, God brought Stacy into your life. That's another really cool thing. And I know all therapists experience this where just it's cool how God will align, you know, because it is really important that you have a good working rapport with your therapist. It needs to be a good fit. So I love that he brought her in um, into your life. But then I also love that you did your research and found out, oh, faith is a thing for her too, because that I think is one of the things that gives a bad rap on going to see a therapist is there are some therapists out there that who aren't believers and maybe who do have some different, you know, ways of viewing things and have a different worldview, you know? So even if we don't bring um, faith into the counseling room as a therapist, having a different worldview definitely would be a hard time to connect with, with each other. So, yes, yes. And not every therapist, yes. And, and because of that, not every therapist works for everybody. Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the bottom line. Like sometimes it's like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't match. Um, and I, exactly. I, I just agree with you. I don't, I don't think yeah. I even need to add to that. I just agree with you. Yeah. I just felt like some people need to hear that. And another thing I know for me, and I know a lot of therapists do this is, you know, when we first meet with a client, 
I, we will tell them honestly if we don't think that we're a good fit, you know, right. because I yeah. care more about you and your uh, well-being and helping you get better to say, yeah, actually, I don't think we're a good fit, but here's some referrals. So I just think some people needed to hear that because I think that also people have maybe gone to a therapist and maybe not had the best experience, but it's just like anything. Have you ever gone to go buy a car and you didn't have a good experience with, you know, the salesman? Did you exactly. just decide not to buy a car then? No, you went to a different lot and said, okay, what do you guys offer? Maybe this will be better over here. So don't quit. Like if you're a listener, I don't know why, I just feel you know, inspired to say this. If you have not yet found somebody that you connected with, keep looking and, and let God help you align that. Um, okay, so let's move on. Let's get into, you actually, you speak to how the, the church has not always been a safe place for people struggling with mental health. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think that unintentionally, sometimes church is just things that are said can be wildly insensitive. Things that are said are from one specific kind of emotional makeup. Like empathy sometimes is missing in church. And when empathy is missing and you say something to somebody and you say it in a certain way, it can make them retract and retreat into more of hiding. And, and, I, and I've, I've experienced that. And I think a lot of times it's it's fault on both sides. There's a lack of empathy, but then there's also a lack of authenticity. So you don't know. Like I always say, if you walked up to me right now and tapped me on the shoulder and I winced really big and you were just saying, hey, what's up, man? And the, my wince was because, or, and, if, and my wince was because there was a cut underneath my shirt. You don't know that there's a cut there. So you just tap my shoulder to say good morning and I, there's a cut underneath there. And so we have a problem because I wasn't authentic and honest about I'm hurting under here. I think that that's what happens in church. A lack of empathy and a lack of authenticity create a formula for shame. That, that's what we need to, to work on. We need to work on being empathetic and making a safe space for people to be authentic. And then that is when God's like, thank you. I will take it from here. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Uh, I'm going to have to just repeat what you just said, that the lack of empathy and authenticity create uh, the environment for shame, right? Is that essentially what you said? Yes. I mean, all right, so let's get into the nitty gritty of that because I very much agree. I don't think I need to rehash that out, but now I wonder if people are wondering, okay, then how do we do that practically? Like, what does that look like to, to be empathetic and authentic? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's, Oh, it's such a hard thing because it's subjective. It depends on who you're dealing with, how authentic you can be. If it's not a safe place, then you have to think about that. So it's, but I think empathy, I think if we all start with, with empathy and knowing that there's a backstory, that there's always a backstory. I remember being on The Voice 10 years ago, I was on the show called The Voice and there were so many interviews. They did like three or four hours of interviews with each of us, but then we'd only, you know, you'd only air two minutes of it. And I remember when my two minutes aired, people were like, why didn't you say Jesus more? Why didn't you talk about church? Why didn't you just, I did in the three hours of interviews, but there are, there's a cutting room floor and they decided to put this on the screen. So these people were like coming at me hard for what they saw and they had no idea what was on the cutting room floor. I think in church, we come at people hard for the, the picture, the two minutes of them we get to see, and we don't know what's on the cutting room floor of their life. We don't know what abuse is on that cutting room floor. We don't know what financial struggles, we don't know what relational struggles are on the cutting room floor. And we come at them with the two minutes of knowledge we have. If we look at people and go, there is something on the cutting room floor I'm not aware of, we would change the way we speak. We would change the way we, we would change an accusation into a question. We would change, the, we would reformulate the way we communicate. 
And then that creates space for me to go, Hey, yeah, I, I wish they would have aired the stuff I said about faith. And I would have been able to tell that story, but instead, cause I got judgment. I was like, okay, I'm, I don't want to try to defend myself to all these people. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You're preaching. <laughs> you're a preacher too right you know yeah, it's, it's 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 i can't help it being raised by my parents we all kind of just were in a master class for preaching and we didn't know it all growing up yeah <laughs> yeah well that holy spirit boldness is just coming out of you because it's something you're passionate about and i love it and i have to highlight two things that you said that there's always a backstory i think always. that that's been the most pivotal thing for me in becoming a therapist and sitting one-on-one -on -one with people all day and just hearing their stories and going, okay, that it makes sense. Like what you're going yeah. through makes sense. And if that is, and then you said something that I want to repeat too for the listeners and encourage the listeners to keep this question in your mind. What's on their cutting room floor? Mm -hmm. You know, just like approaching people that you don't know, you don't know their story, just what, what about them do I not know? And you don't always have to know it, but just know that there's something there. Every person has something there. <laughs> they, yes. they vary in what it is, what it looks like. You don't even have to know the details, but you do need to know every person that you meet is going through something or has something that we just need to be aware of and empathetic to. As you, yeah. you know, I can tell you this really quick. I, this is a random. I just thought about it. But one time I thought a friend of mine was wildly rude and my responses to them were just like, wow, can you be, I, mean, I would just kind of would attack them and they would look at me like they had no idea what I was talking about. Listen to this. This is what I found out was on their cutting room floor later. They have Asperger's. They were on the spectrum. So wow. the way they communicated was because I'm on the spectrum. I just say, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was attacking somebody with autism. Like that's what I figured out. And wow. it made me feel crazy because I wasn't more patient and kind and trying to figure out why are they saying this like that? Like, could you, that's an extreme example, but that's what was on the cutting room floor. And it made me go, wow, I probably hurt them bad. Like they, cause they were oblivious to what they were doing. So that's just one example. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I can relate to, um, there's been several people in my life that when you first meet them, they kind of rub you the wrong way. I don't know if you've ever had that person or I've been in a, you know, on a team with somebody that I'm like, why does this person bother me so badly? And I like to now pause because like you, I've learned that there's usually something there. Either they're bumping up against, like you said, my wounds that just kind of triggered something in me, reminded me about something from my past. Or exactly like you said, they have something that uh, I don't know about them. And it's interesting that when I'll lean into those hard places, because usually we just want to run from those places and be like, well, I yeah. guess I don't like you. We can't interact anymore. But I like to just lean in and ask the Lord, what is it about them that's really bothering me? And a lot of times he'll put his finger on it. And then those very people have ended up becoming some of my best friends, you know, because I was yeah, willing to yeah. lean in and figure out about them and they were able to figure out, understand me too. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's also the reverse. I know we can talk about so much for this week. It's so hard to cover topics because yeah. you can stay on one for the whole time. Mm -hmm. But also just in the reverse, I'll say just real quick that sometimes what's on the cutting room floor are things that would actually make you stay away. Like, mm. So it, it can be reversed too. We can have narcissist stuff that's on the cutting room floor that you find out later. So there's, we have to be wise and be aware and guard our hearts, but so it can go both ways, but it's just being aware and patient and kind as you figure out what's on the cutting room floor. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go there actually. Cause I actually was wanting to go there because you do talk about 
relationships and, and red flags. And yeah, we have three chapters on that in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would love to go there because I'm so glad you brought that up that exactly. Sometimes you find things out and you realize, oh, this is a red flag being thrown. <laughs> we should we should turn and run. <laughs> yes. And a lot of times a, a fistful of red flags from a distance can look a lot like roses. Mm, that's they good. Can. That's good. And so yeah, toxic relationships. There's, that's the only subject in the book that has like multiple chapters because we just kept going yeah. with content. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to expand on that? Because uh, that's a powerful statement. It's a very visual one that the fistful of red flags can look like roses from a distance. Can yes. you give a, a practical example of what that that is or what that looks practical like? Practical example is early on in rela- some relationships for me, because I'm a Christian one, I think that 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 magnifies the fact that I'm a compassionate person. Like I'm I'm all heart and compassionate and have codependent tendencies, which I've been working on too. So it just magnified this whole issue where I would see things that were a little bit off in in somebody, but I would be like, oh, it's okay, we'll work through it. And I would take a step closer as I saw things that were a little bit off. But like, I would look, are those roses? Okay, let me get a little closer and see if those are roses. No, those are red flags. Like that that's not, as you get closer, that is going to become more. Do you know what I mean? So that I think a lot of times compassionate people, we attract toxic people because we are just giving and over the top and we'll do the most. And my therapist, Stacey Kaiser, who I co-wrote this book with me uh, with, she said to me one day, Anthony, be aware that you do not become a victim to your own compassion. Mm. You are, you are victimizing yourself by taking those steps closer when you know these are red flags. This fistful of red flags will not magically turn into roses because you're such a nice guy. No, that's not how it works. Don't think that highly of yourself. They have to work on their issues. A lot of times, a lot of us who are going to therapy are going to therapy to deal with the people who won't go to therapy, who actually need the therapy. So um, that, we have to take all that into consideration. So um, those are a few different points on that. But yeah, if somebody's telling you who they are, you need to believe them. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And also just a reminder that we're not Jesus. So like, Period. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're going to have to, um, Jesus and, and their own therapy and all that will have to be what, um, gets them their healing, not, not their relationship with me necessarily. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh my goodness, this is all so good. Let's ju- I'm like, which one should we go? Like you said, we can talk about wherever different things. you want to go. This is your show. Take me wherever. Let's go. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's talk about pain and grief. Mm. That's another interesting one in the Christian world. And very real to our family and me and our family, because we've been through a lot of junk. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk then about that avoidance Oh, yay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I for so long, I would try to numb the pain, distract myself from the pain. I would try to travel the pain away, shop the pain away, adventure the pain away. And there's nothing wrong with those things independently. But I was trying to to numb the pain, numb the pain, numb the pain, numb the pain. And I again, in one of my therapy sessions, Stacy has these drop the mic moments and she goes, Anthony, you have to feel it to heal it. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You have to feel it to heal it. So this numbing, eventually you're stuffing stuff down and it's going to come out somewhere. Like it's going to come out somewhere. So I had to be intentional about like in my therapy sessions at at this point, a certain look can be in my eyes and she'll go, what was that? 
Like that was sadness or, you know, she'll, I'll, I'll say that that was, I'm, I'm feeling sad right now. And she'll be like, stop right there. I know this is not fun, but stop right there because that sadness is begging you to come out. Like you, you will return to joy, but that has to be out for you to return to joy. It doesn't have to, it doesn't need to be stuffed down. So I, I just believe as it relates to pain and grief, when you're, when you're going through it, allow yourself to feel it. When we lost our mom, that's the worst. I don't, Ugh, I don't wish that. I know we at some point that, that that's a part of life, but it was the way it happened was horrible. But there were moments where Stacy would say, "Go to your roof." Well, because California people have roofs, rooftops. <laughs> like what? Go to your roof. But uh, I would go. She's like, "Get a picture of your mom. Watch the sunset because she loved those, and allow the feelings to come. Whatever feeling it may be, a smile because of a memory. It, it probably will be tears. Allow those things to come out." because they need to, that is a part of the process. So I'm a big firm believer in that because what was happening to me was I was stuffing down the emotions and then all of a sudden like lashing out at people. Like my responses were like, what are you doing? And again, it was a hidden injury. It was, I was trying to cover the injury as opposed to let air and light get on it so that it starts to heal. Oh, this is good because again, the feelings thing is another really big thing that I think a lot of people, but especially uh, people of faith, sometimes have a hard time with the hard feelings. And interesting thing about feelings is if we numb one type of feeling, we're numbing all of them because they're all kind of just intermingled. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, we're trying to numb the sadness. We don't want to feel that. Well, then in that we'll numb the, the joy. You know, we're, we're kind of yes. numbing a lot of the things. And so then we just become so numb. And I love what you said about just feeling your feelings. And whatever comes up, if sadness comes up, also not judging what comes up because sometimes people are shocked at what comes up when they start to right. feel like, oh, wait, there's anger. That's weird. Yeah. I shouldn't feel angry. So they start shooting on themselves, you know, yeah, right, right. or yeah. I yeah, shouldn't yeah. feel, you know, whatever. And instead of judging them, just even for a few minutes saying, okay, let's let it come up. <laughs> let's sit with it yeah. <laughs> and then exactly. let it pass rather than, like you said, because emotions will find their way out somewhere. They will. <laughs> and you know what? A, a, a feelings to me are, they're in, well, to me, I think, period. Feelings are indicators. It's like a check engine light that comes on in your car. You don't ignore the check engine light. You don't trade in the whole car because there's a check engine light. You have to go figure out why is this check engine light on? And what a lot of us do, including myself, I did that. I would have the emotional check engine light come on and I would keep running at full throttle, which a lot of us do. Our check engine light's been on for like two months and we just still keep driving. But you address the issue now because if you don't address the indicator, you'll have a breakdown. Like your actual vehicle will break down and so will you if you do not address what your feelings that flashing lights are like, check, check your heart, check your emotions, check. They're, they're trying to tell you things. And um, I had to do that because I've had to recently. And sorry, I'm talking so fast. I had a lot of coffee. So I'm on. I'm like, Whoa! and this is my favorite topic and a lot of coffee. It's a mess. <laughs> I love it. Keep going. <laughs> um, oh, I have ADD. So my mind was just like squirrel and I got lost in my thoughts. But um, I had a moment with with Stacy recently where a situation in my adulthood my response to it was way too big. It was way too big. And it, it, it messed with my value and it, my response was big. And so we started talking about childhood stuff. And while we were talking, I started, I started getting like teary and it was like, what is this feel? What is happening? And she said to me, those are, those are old tears. Those are tears from the 13 year old that never came out. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. That time as it relates to emotional wounds and injury doesn't matter. It's like, 
the emotions are still there and they need to be cleaned out. And as I did that, and as I had these realizations, it's like you feel freer and you feel lighter and you feel, it's just, that's why I believe therapy is worth it because you come out of these hard moments, but you're like, that was amazing. Cause I feel like a weight is off of me. Absolutely. And it's just a, that safe space to let that come out too. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. Therapy is an amazing safe space because first of all, y'all have so many rules and regulations as related to confidentiality and you can't say this, you can't even, Stacey said, well, she was very kind because this, this stressed her out because this was against everything that therapists do. I had to sign away my confidentiality for her to do this book with me because if she saw me at the mall, she would act like she didn't know me, you know, that's, so this is a big deal, but I love that. That's another big thing for people. This is a confidential safe space. You're not talking to your friend at church that may accidentally go, oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to say that to a group of people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I think people need to know that because you're absolutely right. In fact, we have something called dual relationship. I mean, I've I've had to turn people away because I'm like, oh, I know your sister's aunt's uncle. You know, like we just can't, like if there's any kind of connection at all, and then yeah, we could lose our license. And so I also just want to say two thank yous to you for one, you know, partnering with your therapist to do this. Cause again, like Stacey said, it's very not, not common at all that something like this would happen that a patient would say, Oh, I'd like to talk about this out in the yeah. open and share this with other people. So thank yeah. you for that. The, you know, you leading the role and just being authentic and living Absolutely. it. <laughs> but then also just as a male speaking to this, I really love that too, because oh, I, I have a lot of conversations with females about this, but not males aren't quite as open to, they still have all the feelings. They still have all the hurts. They still, you know, but they're not always as open to talk openly. Have yeah. you? And culturally it's kind of like be tough, be yeah. uh, stuff. And I think it's, I think it for, for men to speak on this and not, I'm not saying myself, but it takes more courage and for you to be tougher, to be vulnerable to me than playing the American male role of, I got it. I'm like, mm, yeah. no, nah. you're not, yeah. You're not fooling any of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. We see the limp. So yeah. So thank you for that. Cause that's just, oh, you know, you everybody's much. benefiting from you doing this. And and I think that it will just open up other people to, to maybe do the same. So thank you for that. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else that, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you about when we were talking about the feelings, I want to intermingle the feelings in the faith. Cause I do think that's a thing as well. Sometimes different reasons why again, Christians can, sometimes think some emotions are ones that are wrong to feel or, you know, that I'm sinning if I feel this one. And so that's one of the reasons they stuff it down. How have you overcome that? Just you being, you know, doing therapy and being, you know, Christian, having to uproot some of the things you might've believed about that. Yeah. You know, I've had to put my feelings in their place, but not ignore them. So feelings, um, my dad, when I, cause I'm such the feeling guy of the family, I'm the artist and the emotional worship leader, all that stuff. My dad had to remind me that in that a time in my life, where I was feeling left, lost, abandoned, like God's forgotten about me. He said, Anthony, feelings do not have intellect. What we have to understand is feelings are super real, but feelings can't think. So feelings cannot be the engine of your life. They have to be the caboose. The engine of your life has to be the truth, which he opened his forever familiar Bible, opened to Philippians 1, 6 and said, this is the truth, whether you feel like it or not. You can be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's the truth, whether you feel like it or not, but your feelings are are real. So we're not going to ignore them. We're just going to put them in their place. And once you do that, once you put the truth in the front and your feelings are following the truth, then, then you can acknowledge your feelings, but there's an anchoring of truth. And also what happens is when you start 
When you, when you start walking in the truth, in spite of the way that you feel, your feelings will follow your feet. Mm, that's good. That's yeah. good. Oh my goodness. Anthony, you have said so much here that is just golden. Um, before we go, I want to just give you one final chance to give a word of encouragement to the listeners who are listening, who maybe are still just super curious about how to inter interweave um, their mental health, their emotional health, all the things we've talked about in their faith. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would want whoever's listening to be encouraged in this way. I would want you to be as kind to yourself as you would be to somebody else who is struggling. A lot of times there is something that about us, we are not kind to ourselves. We do not show ourselves grace. We allow shame to sabotage grace in our lives, the, the shame that we're carrying. Um, I would want you just to understand the principle of being kind to yourself. It's about progress, not perfection. It's about moving forward and taking the next step. And mistakes are actually a sign that you're trying. So that is one way you can be kind to yourself. I made a mistake, but that means that I am trying. So you putting forth the effort is the best thing you can do because as a believer, the biggest principle that I've held on to is when you do what you can, God will do what you can't. I remember being a child playing baseball and I could not make impact with that ball. I was having the hardest time and my dad walked out onto the field and he put his arms around me and grabbed the bat. He grabbed the bat and he swung with me. I didn't walk away. He grabbed the bat and he swung with me. And all of a sudden I was making this huge impact. I was hitting home runs. And it's because my dad added to my effort. When you swing with all that you can and invite God into your circumstance, he will reach around you and grab your circumstance with you. And the impact will, will happen because that's what he promises us. Do what you can and God will do what you can't. Woo wee. I love that. That is the absolute perfect way to end today's conversation. Hey, where can people connect with you? Of course, get the book, all the things. Um, they can connect with me on socials. That's at Anthony Evans, Jr. at Anthony Evans, Jr. And, or you can just go look for the book on when faith meets therapy. It's available everywhere. Or you can go to when faith meets therapy book.com. And that'll give you every outlet. You can just click on whatever one you want. If you're anything like me, you can get the audio book. Because, you know, ADD people need to be able to like wash dishes or something while they listen to a book. So uh, that it's available everywhere. That's awesome. Hey, and is this the uh, first book that you've written? This is the third. I did a, um, I did one with my family, the last one called Divine Disruption, all five of us. And then there's one, one before that. So I, I had no idea that books were going to be a part of my life, but yeah, it keeps happening. That's cool. <laughs> I actually did read Divine Disruption. What was the first one? It's called Unexpected Places. It's thoughts on God, faith, and finding your voice. And it was kind of my scenario with LA and the voice and being a preacher's kid, all these different things that were happening at one time and, and how I saw God and all those, those uh, opportunities and experiences. Awesome. So what is your favorite, writing or speaking or singing, or do you like them all? My favorite is probably the music side because that's that that's what came first and so i that's what now is like my wheelhouse like 
that one is the, the easiest to do. <laughs> yeah, it just comes naturally. Hey, actually, yeah. that brings up a question. I know I said we we're going, but does worship for you, leading it, singing it, or just listening, um, is it helpful to you with your mental health and when you're feeling anxious and things like that? Is that part of? Uh, yeah, a- it, it, it is very helpful. But because I do it for a living, I have to get my mindset to not be in work mode while I'm listening. Like, it's really weird because I'll start listening from the production side or listening from the, and that's what happens when you know the what's behind the veil in anything somebody who goes to a broadway show if they've worked backstage they're thinking about what's happening backstage you know so it's very so uh but it, it is a part of it i just have to work to just be a spectator and take it in that's a great point yeah i, I hadn't thought about that because i have the same thing with podcasting that it's hard to just listen and consume and not be listening like oh they did this or that's cool yeah, or yeah, you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yes yeah. yes oh man okay well i could talk to you all day on this topic but yeah <laughs> to the listeners i think you definitely got to experience enough to know this is a topic you you want to get the book for sure listen to it read it do all the things um if you don't already have a therapist definitely find one and um yeah thank you again anthony for coming on i just appreciate it thank you very much for having me i loved it it is time for let's get real practical this is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. I wanna use this space to give you practical tips for finding a therapist, plus some tips to get the most out of therapy. And I do just want to address one myth that some people might believe about therapy. There's lots of myths, I think, but we're just gonna talk about this one. Therapy is not just for people going through a crisis, it's a lifestyle. So I wanna find, give you some tips for finding a therapist because I know from talking with different people, this can be very frustrating and discouraging at times. So I just wanna give you some tips here and hopefully give you some help to get with the right person. So first of all, just like anything in life, pray. Ask the Lord to direct you to the right therapist, just as he did Anthony. Wasn't that a cool story? I love when God, when it's the right time, you know, it's just cool to me. And I, again, it's so neat, even when I have new patients come in, and it's just interesting how the Lord just aligns timing of, okay, the time is now, and then he puts the right person in front of you, and it's awesome. So just pray and trust the Lord first and foremost. Next, everyone tends to start with the question, well, do they take my insurance? I am one of the therapists who does take insurance, but a lot of therapists don't take insurance, but what they do is, you know, they have set fees. And so of course you need to look at fees and budget because if if you can't afford to work that into your family budget or you can't keep it up. So it does need to work with you. But here's a few tips on if you either don't have insurance or the therapist that you're looking at don't take insurance. Many private practices have graduate interns at a reduced rate. And I wanna encourage you, don't be afraid to use them because you need to know this, anytime you see an intern after a name or an associate after a name, that means they're being supervised by a fully licensed therapist. And that therapist that's fully licensed usually has, well, they have to have several years under their belt to even be a supervisor. So don't be afraid to go to interns, at least, especially if you're just getting started and you're, you know, just kind of wanting some tune-ups, you know, you're not one of those people necessarily going through a crisis. That's a great place to start and it's very affordable. 
And then also some practices offer sliding scale fees, kind of depending on what you're able to pay. So just get creative, take a look, see what your area has, okay? And especially these days with telehealth being, you know, definitely more approved and lots more people offering it, you should have lots of options in your state. Now that brings me to my next thing that you need to look for. Make sure they are either licensed, you know, fully licensed, um, or again, they're that intern, but they're sitting under somebody who is licensed. I don't have time to go completely into this piece of it today, but just know that in the online space, it's kind of opened awesome opportunities, but then you don't always know, you know, is the person licensed or um, what are they offering? And so just take a look. Every therapist who has any kind of a website, we actually have to put uh, our license number on there. Like if you go to my website, it's always, it's kind of random. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. I have to have a, an, a number there, but it's just so that you could go and see, oh, she's actually a licensed therapist. And so just keep that in mind. But the other thing you're going to want to keep in mind is when you're looking for a therapist, we can only see patients that the, in the state we're licensed in. So I can only counsel Texas residents. Now I could do telehealth with a Texas resident that's six hours away, because as you know, Texas is huge, um, but I can't counsel in a state over. And so again, as you're doing your research, just definitely make sure, especially if you're looking at the telehealth options that you're looking in your state. If you're wanting a Christian counselor, I recommend going to aacc.net. Um, that's just the American Association of Christian Counselors. You can find one in your state there. Uh, the other thing I would recommend to you, some of these things are duh, I know, but I just I want to encourage you with them. Uh, if they have a website, most of us do, uh, read their bio and see if what matters to them matters to you. And look at things like, what are their specialties? Um, do they offer Christian counseling? Just, it's very good to know because if you know, and it's, to by the way, it's totally normal not to know what you're needing therapy for. That's our job is to help you make some goals there. But if you do know that you're wanting help with something specific, look and see, are they trained? Are you looking for a trauma therapist? Are you looking for somebody who does EMDR or disordered eating or marriage? Just kind of look at some of those things as that'll help you out too. And then if they don't have a ton of information on their site and you do decide to, you know, schedule, some therapists will do consultations, some don't. But in that first meeting with them, you can ask them there too. And you can even ask them what therapeutic model they follow. And if they say something like eclectic, that just means they use many different types depending on the person's needs. Whereas some therapists will say, I am just focusing on CBT or I'm just EMDR. They'll, they'll kind of say that. And so that helps you too, to kind of know what their specialties are, what they focus on. All right, now let's move on to, by the way, these two lists I'm sharing with you today are not like totally extensive. We could add to this for a long, long time, but these are kind of just basics, get you started. So hopefully this will help, but just know that little disclaimer, of course, there's always much more to be said about this, but these are the things that I think you do need to know. All right, now I do wanna share this, um, how you can get the most out of therapy. So you found that therapist, you're getting in there. Now let's talk a little bit how to get the most out of it. Uh, first of all, ask questions. And as therapists, we tend to do the question asking, but especially in that first session, ask questions that matter to you. Because rapport is the number one goal in those first few sessions. And when I say rapport, it's really relationship. It's, it's that you trust me, I trust you, that this is gonna be a really good working relationships. 
And if you don't feel comfortable with that therapist, it probably just isn't going to work for you because if that trust, if that rapport isn't there, it's really hard to get too far in therapy. Next, um, be vocal about techniques that helped and the ones that didn't. We love to hear this feedback. I love that when a client comes back and says, oh, I tried that thing outside a session. That really helped me when I was feeling anxious. And then I've also had clients come back and say, yeah, I tried it. That was, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And I love that feedback. And I know, I think most therapists would say they do too, because it helps us get to know you and get to know what different skills and techniques work for you because no two people are alike. Um, if you do love to read or learn outside the session, again, this is a very individual preference. I have some uh, patients who just love, like they, they always want me to give them new resources and others are going, don't give me another book. Please don't. You know, they don't, especially when they're going through something like trauma or whatever, like I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to assign you reading when you're, when you're going through something like that. But if you do love that kind of thing, again, be vocal, tell your therapist, ask your therapist for book and podcast recommendations. I personally keep a library of books in my office. And if I, you know, something we were going through that day, I feel like would be helpful to them. I'll show that to them or let them borrow it. So do that because all therapists, we're always learning. We're always growing. We're, we're big learners. And so we all have so many resources that we can definitely direct you to if you would like those. So be vocal about that. Okay, this next one I really, really is huge. I personally believe keep a journal and include things in this journal between sessions like your thoughts, feelings, dreams, um, or just anything that came up that you would like to process in your session. Because if you've been to therapy and if you haven't, I would like you to know that, you know, we have an allotted amount of time with each client. And most of us, we, you know, our days are pretty stacked. In fact, most therapists have waiting lists. So we, you know, we're pretty stacked and so, those, those sessions usually are about 50 minutes to an hour. Some therapists go a little longer, just depending on what they're doing with you. But in that 50 minutes, it flies by. And so when somebody comes in and there's always, you know, that little bit of in the beginning kind of, you know, warming up, doing, you know, a little bit of um, debriefing, a little bit of processing. But if you can come in already knowing like, this is the thing I really want to work on today. Or I, man, I've got, let me look in my journal and see what came up this week that I'd like to process with you. That really helps just get the session going without, you know, wasting the first 10, 15 minutes. I don't want to say wasting. That's a bad word to use here because I don't feel any time in therapy is wasted because again, we're always doing something that's building rapport or building, you know, something there. But it does just help us to dive in to what it is that you are really wanting to say. And then also, it helps us look for themes. I really, I'm a big fan of looking for themes. And so, yeah, when you can start to kind of put pieces of the puzzle together of, oh, wow, when I do this, I'm, these types of feelings are coming up or these types of thoughts are coming up, very, very helpful. So do that. I think every therapist would agree with me that they love that kind of a thing. And then finally, it is awesome if you can, once you, again, once you're established in therapy, Work with your therapist and set a recurring appointment. Now, of course, this definitely depends on your treatment plan and how many days and times and things like that. But 
I have found that, and most of my patients really appreciate when they can just say, okay, every Monday at five, that's my spot. And then they always know it's their spot. It's kind of like their, their therapy date with themselves, you know, to do some self-care, to do, take some time for them. And if it's on the calendar, it's going to happen. And so again, not everybody needs to come in weekly, but whatever your pace is and whatever you and your therapist decide, just getting that on the calendar recurring just gets that consistency going. So I highly recommend doing that. Okay, well, I know this um, practical segment today was a bit long, but I do hope that these tips helped you and maybe even encouraged you to go try to find a therapist and get that relationship going. Um, I just, I've been so blessed going to therapy personally and then now becoming one that I'm just a huge advocate and I feel like everybody needs to have a therapist. That's my opinion. Okay, my friends. Well, if you do want any more free resources or any information about therapy, you can always visit rachelgilbert.com. Well, I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Rachel.